0: A couple of quick things before we uh, <clears throat> turn to the scripture this morning. One is I did want to point out that there's a flock list tucked in your bulletin somewhere. Uh, I want you to take that out and find your name. If you are a member here, your name's on that list. Find your name. At the top of the list in which your name appears, there's a name in a box. That is your elder, right? Every member of this church is in a flock underneath an elder. That is your elder. He knows you're on his list, he's praying for you, uh, and he is available to you. If you are going to the hospital, if you have a need, if you have a problem, if you have a question, if you have a concern, um, he is your first line of defense. Call him. Uh, He he will be glad to hear from you and to help you. Uh, This list is attached to the Wednesday email uh, e-blast that went out, so you can download it there on your computer. It's on our website underneath our resource, uh, Adult Ministries. Uh, you'll find this list. But we want everybody to know, you know, our flocks have changed from the old days. They used to be more of a center of uh, social activity. They really, these days, are really just a vehicle for pastoral care, that an elder has a group of folks who he prays for and shepherds and Uh, is there for you. Uh, In terms of the social side of it, there are home groups on a table in the foyer. They meet once a month in a house, went to one last night, had a wonderful time uh, just hanging out with people, getting to know people better. Encourage you, if that's what you're looking for to sign up in a home fellowship group before you leave today. Um, Tonight we are starting our small groups in the first half hour, the first month of uh, first Sunday of each month We're going to do a time of corporate prayer So tonight when you come we'll gather in here uh, To spend some time praying together before we break up into our small groups. We'll only do that once a month Um, Here's the thing As soon as I said that you're tempted not to come until 530 um, you're thinking, "Oh, small group doesn't start till 5:30. I get an extra half hour of football, or I get an extra half hour nap, or I get." Let me let me just tell you, that is a temptation. When you hear the church is going to gather to pray, and you're tempted to come late, that is not of God. Um, my friends, I encourage you. I we we're doing it because we believe God answers prayer, and we long for him to work in and through our church. And I plead with you to come and pray with us uh, tonight, to not be tempted and to give in to such things. We are going through a series on being unashamed of the gospel. There are uh, eight weeks in a row that we're talking about eight things that we need to believe biblically if we're going to be unashamed about the gospel that we just saw. Is that not a moving... I mean, it makes me want to cry and it makes me want to tell people about Jesus. And that's, that is the goal is to to recapture our hearts and our minds, to rewrite our DNA biblically, to, to love the gospel and to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. This morning we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 13-17, to 17, talking about the power of God because one of the things we need to believe if we're going to be unashamed of the gospel is exactly what Paul says here in verse 16, that it is the power of God unto the salvation for all who would believe. Romans one 13 to 13-17, hear the word of God. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, to Rome. But thus far I have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish, and I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Pray with me. Father, this morning we come to your word and we want you to speak. Father, we pray that you would not only inform our minds, but that you would change our hearts, that you would work in our lives, that you would bring home to us this truth in power in a way that emboldens us with your gospel. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it is hard to tell people about Jesus. And I know that this has been true for me since I was 18 years old and came to Christ and got involved in a Christian organization that taught us discipleship and scripture study and prayer and and evangelism is part of our discipleship. And so they taught you how to share it and what it contained. But it doesn't take away the the fact, the fear, the sense that it's hard to tell people about Jesus. And for me, the, the, the probably the biggest hang-up for me. And for everybody, it might be a little bit different. A lot of you may not be as arrogant as I am. Um, but my struggle was, what will, what will they think of me? Uh, you know, they're going to think I'm narrow-minded. No worse, they're going to think I'm small-minded. Right? They're going to think I'm, I'm not intelligent, or they're going to think I'm not smart. You believe that stuff? Right? In this enlightened age, in this enlightened culture, in this day and age, you believe that stuff? You're empty-headed. It's foolish. So, some of us are afraid of what people will think. Paul wants to go to Rome, which is fascinating. Because who is Paul? Right? He wants to go to Rome, and he wants to preach the gospel there. Right? That's in verse 13. You know, I don't want you to be unawares, brother. I've been trying to come there for a long time, and I've been prevented, but I want to come there. I want to preach the gospel. I want to see a harvest. I want to see harvest in the church, and I want to preach to the rest of the Gentiles, and to the barbarians, and the Greeks, and the, and the foolish, and the wise. I want to preach to everybody. I can't wait to come to Rome. Rome is full of Greeks and Romans. It's the center, right? The center of the Greco-Roman empire and culture. Right? The Romans conquered the Greek militarily, but the Greeks conquered the Romans culturally. And so it becomes this empire, a powerful empire and Roman power and Greek philosophy and learning and culture. And so it is this center, Rome is this center, this hub of the wise and the elite of the world, the powerful, the philosophical, the enlightened, the artistic, Rome is a political, intellectual, philosophical center of the world, center of a proud and domineering empire and Paul says, "I want to go there, I want to go there right Don't you want to, that, that 's where Paul wants to go is you know we think it 's hard now to share in this enlightened age. well, this is no different for Paul. He wants to go to Rome and to preach Jesus. He wants to go to Rome and tell them about a crucified carpenter. He wants to stand in the marbled halls of Roman and Greek wisdom and power and tell them about a guy they never heard of. Uh, He was a Jew on the backside, the backwater, smallest province you guys even have. Uh, He was a carpenter guy, and they crucified him, and he is your only way to salvation and to God he wants to go and preach this gospel to them Paul's nobody nobody knows you go to Rome there's nobody you go down the street in Rome and said you know Paul you know the apostle guy no no who is this guy he is nobody from nowhere with a gospel nobody's ever heard and it's a very strange story indeed and that's true it's a very strange story indeed the message that he carries is foolishness to Greek wisdom. Foolishness to studiers of Aristotle and Plato and the and the thoughts of the day, the Roman wisdom. The message was regularly mocked and attacked. You know, there were riots that were formed when Paul came preaching it. There were people who gathered to uh, run him out of town, to beat him with sticks, to stone him with stones and Paul often had to sneak away, and MacArthur writing on, on this whole issue, he says, it's there in your bulletin under the first point, John MacArthur says, Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, he was chased out of Thessalonica, he had to slip out of town, he was smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, they, they laughed at him in Athens, they considered him a fool in Corinth, and they declared him a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem, it was not a popular message. Paul was rejected, he was ridiculed, he was beaten. And after all of that, he says, I want to go to Rome. They haven't beat me there yet. <laughs> you know, they haven't laughed at me there yet. You know, I want to go where the gospel has not been preached with such effect. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, there in your Bolden, he says, we preach Christ crucified. He is a stumbling block to the Jews and he is folly to the Gentiles. It, it, it makes no sense. To a fallen world, religious or irreligious, Roman or Jewish, Greek or Gentile, it is a stumbling block. It is foolishness. It is an offense to the natural person without the spirit. It's offensive. Are you telling me? Are you telling me I got to do this or else? Are you, are you telling me? Folly. They scoff. So, why does Paul want to go to Rome? He's a glutton for punishment. He wants to go to Rome in all of its pride and all of its power and all of its wisdom. Why does he want to go to Rome? Why is he not ashamed at this point of the gospel? What motivates Paul? What drives Paul? And the answer is this he knows. Here in Romans 1, he knows the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe. He knows that for every town that he limped away from or was smuggled out of, he left a church. Every town. There is a church. He left a group of believers. There were those who came to faith. For every one that... You know, ran him out of town, there was, there was a, a church that is formed and left in his wake. There were those who believe and come to faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18, it's there in your bulletin. It says, for the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And that's true, and he experienced that. And, and, the, and the negative effects of that, for those to whom it is folly, it is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, he says. It is the very power of God. It changes people's lives. People believe and are saved and are changed and brought forth out of that unbelieving world and knit together as the body of Christ and as a church and the the bride of the work of, of, of God in the world that is folly to some, but the very power of God to others. Why not write it in the sky? Why not send angels? Why not give people dreams? You know, why not, why not do it some other way? Some, some easier way. Easier for us. We don't have to overcome our fears. Do it. Easier for them. If you just wrote it in the sky, you know, who wouldn't believe? You know, if you just gave me a dream, if you just spoke to me, Jesus, then it would all be settled. The answer is, well, in some ways, I don't know. What I get is from the scripture that we just read back there is, um, or the scripture we're about to read, is that it's the wisdom of God, and it pleased God to do it this way, to thwart human wisdom, to humble human pride. God has chosen to do it this way. Is there another way? I don't know. You may as well ask, why is the grass green? Could it have been a different color, and we wouldn't even think, you know, you wouldn't think twice about it if it was from time immemorial. But it's green. Why is it green? I don't know. In the wisdom of God, and because it pleased God that it be so. And so First Corinthians one twenty one, there twenty and twenty-one in your bolting, it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know him through their wisdom, they couldn't think their way to God, logic their way to God, figure it out for themselves, rise up and and figure God out in their own wisdom they could not know him it pleased god that's all i know is it pleased god through the folly of what we preach to save some to save those who would believe see god was pleased to hu- use human humility and weakness and the gospel to bring low the pride of man it pleased god to not debate their way in, but to give them a humble message of a humble Savior. And it's through the folly of what we preach, it says, that God works in power to save, to create faith, to raise the dead spiritually. Paul believes, this is why Paul wants to go to Rome, because he believes that God works in a certain way But he works in a certain way. And the way that he works is he sends weak and foolish men and women into the world with a message, a gospel, the folly of what we preach. And Paul knows, though, that when when we are faithful to do that, people are saved. People believe. Even today, 2,000 years removed from that strange little carpenter in a backwater town of the Roman Empire that was, didn't live half of a lifespan, was crucified with criminals, is still changing the hearts and minds and the lives of people to this very day. It is the power of God, he says to save. And so Paul says, I'll go preach it anywhere. I want to go there. I know, I know that it is folly to those who are perishing. I know that some of them will ridicule me and even maybe drive me out of town. I know that it will be problematic, but you know what? I want to go there and I want to preach it anyway. Why? Because I want to see God work. I want to see his build his church and the very gates of hell and the scoffing and the, and the human wisdom that stands against it will not stand. We'll see it fall and the church be established and grow and thrive in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. He's not ashamed to go to the marble halls of Rome and speak the name of Jesus. Because here is the power of God to bring spiritual life to save the lost. The gospel is good news. It's the good news, that very word, the word gospel means quite literally good news news about jesus and paul unfolds this message this good news in his whole book In fact that those verses i just read in 16 and 17 are the theme of the entire book of romans and so you can say what is that gospel that he wants to preach we'll read the book of romans in one sense that's the gospel but the gospel is bigger than that as well we were saying in sunday school today the gospel is as big as the story of the whole scripture The good news is this. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created us in his own image, and he created us for himself, and he created us to know him and to love him and to serve him and to worship him, to walk with him and to spend an eternity with him. And something went terribly wrong. There's a fall creation. Fall is broken. We are separated and alienated. Things are not as they're supposed to be. And so redemption that Jesus, at at a certain time in the center of history, comes to accomplish God's purpose to save to begin to restore, and it begins to restore your life and your life, and it begins this work to make us again, to remake us in the image of God found in Christ, and that someday it will all be complete. The world, the heavens, and the earth will be new. And so the gospel, in some sense, is the whole of the message of the Bible. But at other times, Paul reduces it down, and the gospel is as narrow as preaching Christ crucified. I knew nothing while I was among you except for Christ and Him crucified. Right at the center stands the cross. Shorthand for the sin atoning work of Jesus. Christ crucified stands there at the center of history. Not just the fact that Jesus was crucified. The fact that Jesus was crucified isn't the gospel. Two criminals were crucified on either side of him. Lots of people were crucified. That he was crucified isn't the gospel. It's not the crucifixion itself that it's... Who was crucified and why? And what the Bible tells us is that beyond the intentions of those who did ill to Jesus, there was an intention of God at work. It's who was crucified. The Bible says it was the Christ. Right? It was the Messiah. It was the one whom God had sent. right? Galatians 4, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son right in that redemptive history, creation, fall, redemption, and when the fullness of time had come, he sent forth right so someone who comes from outside it 's not just a normal birth it 's not just another child it 's not just another carpenter. God sent forth his son, you know to be born of a woman, someone who was who the creator of the woman was was sent to be born of the woman, to enter into creation, to enter into our, born under the law, to redeem us who were under the law. God was doing something. That's what he said. There's, God sent a special one. He sent forth his son with purpose to redeem those who were under the law. And so Philippians 2 says this. This is, didn't make your And It says he was in the form of God, but he emptied himself and he took the form of, of a servant, being made and born into human likeness. He was in the form of God, but he, he came in human likeness, born of a woman and under the law. God is doing something, sending someone, the Christ, the Messiah promised from ages, and he was obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross, but it wasn't just his death, that in that death God chose to accomplish something. As Messiah, who He was, by faith in Him, the one who did not deserve death, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God is doing something. He's accomplishing a salvation. He's dealing with sin. We live in a sin-infected and broken world that is morally and spiritually broken, alienated from God. In 1 Peter 2, it says He Himself bore our sins in His own body on that tree. He bore our sins in His body on that tree. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Right in that, what Paul talks about in verse 17. Because in this gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness from God. This is the great need of Men and women of every age in our brokenness, in that sin-infected and broken world, is a righteousness, a right standing with God for our sin to be forgiven and us to be made right and reconciled with our Maker. So Colossians 1, major bulletin under the third, it says, For in Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of His cross. He's making peace with a rebellious world. He sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. Emptied himself in the form of a servant. Went to the cross, obedient, even, even to the death on a cross to make peace by his blood. Healing, reconciling, saving. At the cross, this righteousness is revealed. So Paul says in Philippians 3, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is by faith. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is from God, it depends on faith. A righteousness where I am declared forgiven and declared right with God and set in good order, in, in safety before Him. Saved. Guilt removed. Reconciled. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This message... This story of humanity that culminates in a Savior is the power of God to change everything, to save. He's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for righteousness for all who will believe. You know, what? all this is being true. You know, the thing that we have to understand, and if we're going to be unashamed in sharing the gospel is this. Sharing this crazy story about this this carpenter who was sent by God to bear our sin in in his death on the cross. Making it unique in who he was and what God was doing. And to tell people this, that they can be forgiven, that their guilt can be covered, that they can be made right with God, that they can have a hope for time and eternity. And that this message, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, which is foolishness to the Greeks and is rejected by so many, is at the same time the power of God. All that is to say, we cannot argue one person into the kingdom of heaven. Right? This message isn't about arguing and proving. It's a gospel to be believed and received. And we make mistake when we think we can argue anyone into the kingdom or into the faith. The problem that the gospel answers isn't an intellectual problem. See, if it was just a matter of education, we could set up an educational program to teach them the facts of of history, the facts of Jesus, the facts of the Bible, and just teaching them the facts, we would be done. The Bible is very clear. The problem is not intellectual. It's not a matter of education. The problem is spiritual. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. It's not about a new philosophy. It's about an atonement. It's about a Savior dying to cover our sin and our failure, and where we have done it all wrong, and where we have walked far away, and where we have disobeyed, and where we have failed and broken, and where we do not measure up, the Savior dies our death. He pays the debt to cover our sin. The gospel is the message of what God has done for us and could not do for ourselves. So through the death and resurrection of Christ, He overcomes the power of sin and death and releases us into a new relationship with God. That's why Ezekiel 36 it's there in your bulletin under the last point. Ezekiel 36, as He talks about this work that Jesus is going to do, and He says, I will give them a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone. I from your flesh, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. I'm going to powerfully and really and spiritually change you. Too often, conversion to Christianity is about, you know, I did used to believe this way, and well, now I believe this way. Or I used to live with this standard. You know, I used to live with this moral standard, and now I live with this moral standard. Or I used to not have a religious component to my life, and and I used to not go to church and and not do these things, but now... Now I do go to church and I and I do have this religious component and Christianity the Bible says you know, Bible says that's all religion and it doesn't do a whole lot for you. It says what what it takes is is for God to to yank the heart of stone, which is a dead, unresponsive heart out of you and to give you a new heart that beats with love and worship for him. It's a radical spiritual change. Jesus says, "A man, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again, born anew. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is a radical work of the spirit of God to change a human being at the very core. Of who we are, to raise us from the dead spiritually, to give the blind new eyes to see. And so it is a radical spiritual event where God changes people from death to life, from hard heart of stone to a beating heart of flesh, of being in rebellion against Him and in rejection of Jesus to having our eyes opened and where we would reject the things of the Gospel. Now I see there is not better news on this planet than Jesus died for me to bear my sin out of the way and make me right with God. The word of the cross, the word of the Gospel is the sword of the Spirit to lay open the heart and to bring this change, to change. God says that radical change, old heart, new heart, spiritual resurrection, born again, this work. He says, I will do that as you faithfully speak the words of Jesus, the word of Christ, the word of the cross, the word of God, the word of truth, the gospel, so many ways that he talks about it, but it says as you speak it. That's why Paul says, I want to go to Rome, right? Because I want to speak it. Because God works. And he changes hearts. And he opens eyes. God works when we are faithful to speak. 1 Corinthians 2.14 is there in your bulletin. It says the natural person doesn't accept the things of God. They don't accept the things that are of the Spirit of God. They are folly to Him. Just as He's been saying, it is folly to the Greeks. It is folly to those who are outside. It is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are are being saved, you know, it's folly to Him because He's not able to understand. They're spiritually discerned. But to us who are being saved, that is to us who have had our our heart of stone removed, who our eyes have been opened, He says, For us it is the power of God. I see Christ. I believe. I know that I know that I know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Paul is saying there's spiritual work that must be done. Work that is not to convince the mind, but to change the heart. And to create faith. The presence and power and the work of the Holy Spirit are necessary. When does he do this? When we speak, right? Romans 10, 17, these are in your bulletin. Faith comes from hearing. Right? That, when does faith come? When, when is that heart of stone removed? And, and the heart beats with faith and love and trust and life in the things of God. When does that happen? He says faith, that event happens. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God entrusted to us james 1 18 of his own will he brought us forth right he caused us to be born again he he changed our hearts and our lives he caused us to be brought forth by the word of truth first peter 1 23 since you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable that is through the living and the abiding the word of god of the gospel let me just ask you do you believe this You believe that that message that has been entrusted to us literally and radically is used of God to raise people from spiritual death to life, to cause them to be born again, to to bring forth His kingdom, His church. You believe that when the gospel is preached, dead hearts live. Hard hearts are renewed. People turn to Christ. Trust Him. If we don't, we will never be unashamed of the gospel. But if you believe that, we will become like Paul. I truly believe that as we embrace these things and let God write them in our hearts and recapture our hearts and minds, Paul wants to go to Rome. He's been preaching here and they ran him out of town, but he left a church. And then he preached it here and they stoned him. And then he left and dragged him out of town. And he left a church. And then he went to this and he moved from town to town. And he didn't care what happened to him because everywhere he went, he left a church, he left believers. God used him. God blessed the preaching of His Word. Second Corinthians four seven. It's the last thing in your bulletin. It says, "We have this treasure in jars of clay," and we do, my friends. We do. I'm afraid on huh? a lot of days. Even as your pastor and preacher, who you know been in, you know been there, still my heart beats faster. There is that which in me which resists. We are we are but clay. You know, it's not in the messenger. And he says that's on purpose. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to our God and not to us, but the jars bear this treasure given to us to speak forth. Until we believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, we'll be silent. We will never see that surpassing power manifest through clay like us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that did, in fact, bring us forth from the dead. That opened blind eyes so that we can see and love and pursue Jesus. We thank you for your faithful work through your son. That in the fullness of time, you sent him forth. And in the fullness of time, you committed to your church this message of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. Oh, May we be your ambassadors. And may we faithfully open our mouths to speak the name of Jesus in the marbled halls of power and wisdom that we might see your power. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.